Hi guys, welcome to my show, My Steps to Sobriety, on YouTube and as a podcast. And today is another fantastic day to have a guest on my show. And in this case, it is Adele Mason. Adele is a passionate recovery rebel. And today in our show, I don't think we will mince our words and will be very uh, tiptoe around the topics. I don't think Adele and I are hand on heart. We are people like that. I think from now and then there needs to be a show where you speak honest and express opinions that are held by many out there, but might not officially fit with 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 certain pictures or perceptions or or things that you have got in your mind. So let's tease some of these controversies apart. And I'm so pleased to have you on my show, Adele. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am honored, nothing less than honored to be here. Uh, and me, and me, I'm, I'm happy and grateful to have you on my show. Adele, you are a recovery coach but you have a passion that is bar none. That is, uh, you have come from a dark place, have crawled your way back, and are now a force to be reckoned with. And I loved the way we had sort of the, the pre-banter before the mm. recording and on on email because it was it was clear that you are uh, that you have something to say and this is the perfect the perfect place to to say your words to say your vision to explore things so to start off with normally I go back to when you were little but in this case I would like to address a interesting question. Do we really need AA to get sober? Um, the short answer uh, to a very complicated question is no. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly that um, Alcoholics Anonymous has helped and in fact saved uh, millions of people. I know that the Cochrane Report, uh, once upon a time, um, found uh, unfavorably around AA, but a more recent report um, has uh, uh, um, published some evidence-based finding that's, that AA is quite effective. Um, but there are a great number of people who are uncomfortable with uh, a lot of what Alcoholics Anonymous is with the spiritual aspect of it, um, worry that it's a cult and, and all the rest of it. Um, if we are to serve in the business of recovery, uh, serve the cause of recovery, the mission of recovery, we harm people enormously by pushing one mode one way of recovery and one way only. There are people who for their own reasons, um, they may be legitimate and they may be not, but for their own reasons will never darken the doors of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. If you say to those people, in order to get sober, you must go to AA, 
many of those people will never go to AA. And as a result, they will never get sober. What we need to do is widen and broaden the conversation and create space for multiple pathways into sobriety. So we need to hold up Alcoholics Anonymous as one option of many, of many. Yes, it works for a lot of people. It has been the saving grace for a huge number of people. And in fact, I'm aware of some studies that have looked into the brain changes created by the 12 steps, but it is not the only way. And the message must stop with, it is one way, but not the only way. And if it's not comfortable for you, cool. Let's find you a way that is. Let's just get you sober. That's all. I absolutely 100% agree with your notion and every single word out there. Now, I hear already the internet trolls sharpening their knives and pitchforks um, because Adele and I have not said, let's be very clear here, AA is rubbish. AA doesn't work. No. AA, oh no, let's get that right. Okay, guys, guys, don't just cut bits out of my interview and say, oh, look there. No, reality is there are 10,000 ways to skin a cat. That's absolutely yes. true. First AA of all, does work. Absolutely. And, and, and. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get, let's, for the listeners out there who have never touched a, uh, the, the, the door of a, a meeting or the door of any recovery and are still actually nursing mm -hmm. their glass of wine whilst they're watching this. Mm. <laughs> Guys, for you, a typical AA meeting, let's actually talk about that. What would happen if, if a friend says, look, why don't you come along? There's nothing you can lose. Um, and you would come to an AA meeting. AA meetings typically are held in, in church halls. And the reason has nothing to do with, with God or religion. It means that they are typically cheap uh, or for free. And therefore, it is a, uh, an, a, a place where, where AA, which is, is a non-funded non organization, basically, uh, where they can meet. It's as simple as that. So it doesn't, only because it's in a church hall or in a church, doesn't mean that this is a, a very religious group. AA means it is a, it's a community where alcoholics anonymous. So you're coming there, you're not asked about your credentials, you don't give your email address and your, your cell phone, you say your Christian name and, uh, and that's about it. So that's where the anonymous comes in. And it's a safe place. It always, it was, it has helped to be, and it is, it was created to be a safe place for people who are willing to stop drinking, to come together yeah. and figure out how to do that. And Bill Wilson, the guy who was instrumental in creating the 12 steps in the thirties, um, he basically um, described it in 1946 quite nicely. Um, it is something that people nowadays have forgotten. He said, look, and he uses the words of, of the 30s, 40s, which are far more, flower, uh, far more refined than my words. But it's basically, you can be uh, the nastiest person the, with the, uh, we've done the worst things ever. And your mate might be the same. But if you too are willing to stop drinking and coming together and discuss ways of doing that, that's an AA meeting. 
And that's, that's really what it should be. So it should be people coming together and helping each other. And that is what the vast majority of meetings are. The problem well, is, it is, sorry, the, let, let me finish that line of thought. Yes, yes. Because uh, the problem is that it is run by people. And individual people have got strong convictions and strong beliefs themselves. And your, their beliefs uh, might really reflect onto the way a certain AA group is held. For example, mm -hmm. if the leader is very charismatic and is a, a, a born-again Christian, a true believer, and nothing else works than God, then this will be a very religious meeting. And if that is something that attracts you, wow, there, is, there it is. There's a match made in heaven because you have got a system of steps that is a, a pathway that can help you. Plus, you've got a belief system of God. Brilliant. That's your meeting. The problem, of course, is if you are a person who doesn't believe in God as a deity and actually have got problems with that, and you walk into the same meeting, well, it's still the same 12 steps, which would be brilliant to help you. There's a, a, a yeah. proven way how to get out of shit. But because you have got that God and you have got that quite strong personality there who you feel rams the religion down your throat, that's exactly where the problem is. So Adele, I could not agree more with you. Um, it is very, very hard. Here's, here are the two most important words, though, and I, I want people to really understand this, that you said, community and together. I always say it takes a village to raise a child, and it takes a village to heal an addict. We know that peer support is essential yeah. in recovery. And I live in Ottawa and there's a wonderful agency called CAPSA, Community Addiction Peer Support Agency. And they run a, a group called All People All Pathways. And that is the point. It is for people to come together, people to come together in their quest, in their journey, wherever they are, whether their goal is complete abstinence or harm reduction or whatever it is, and support each other. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship, and that is essential. Addiction is a huge, big, hungry beast, and it takes a village. It took a village with me. I talk all day long to people in recovery. There are days, first of all, my partner's in recovery, but there are days before, other than my partner, before my feet have hit the floor that I have texted someone in recovery. It has taken that. There is not a day that has gone by in these two years of sobriety when I have not been in contact with somebody else because it really does, it really does take a village. The other thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is you hear over and over about the 12 steps. It's a process that someone else has laid for you. We all, when we come into recovery, are a bit of a mess. The degree to which we're a mess varies right <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I i mildly disagree by the time you you come to the conclusion that you need help you're not a little bit of a mess <laughs> I mean, oh i was a big <laughs> listen like i do everything big and bold and histrionic i was a big 
epic Scarlett O'Hara made for movies mess. I had no shoes, involuntary committed in the psych ward mess. Like it was big drama. <laughs> but me leading the process of my own recovery would have wound me up six feet under or behind bars. The point is yeah. steps. Somebody else said, you can't think your way down the hall to get your meal. You woke up not knowing where your pants are. You probably shouldn't be in charge of your own recovery right now. Here's, here's, you don't know where your pants are. You probably shouldn't be the leader of this endeavor right now. Here's some steps. So I understand the God thing. I really do. I, I, I really do. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I, I have a strong faith in, in God. And I, I, I can't imagine trying to fit myself into a system that required a relationship with a God, you know, if, if I didn't have, if I didn't have that, but these are the things that we need to, people get, Oh my God, AA is God. AA is God. Yes. But AA is other things, yeah. community and steps and, and all the rest of it. So it's important and, that we, that's why it's important to have conversations like this because we need yeah. to pull out the subtleties, you know, Absolutely. exactly, exactly right. But I give you a different, different definition of God. So AA is all about God. hundred percent. I believe that, but God for me is not a deity. It's a group of orderly drunks or a group of orderly druggies. Okay. So it is a group of people that are out there that are willing to help, that are willing to share, that are willing to break down the yeah. stigma that are, that are saying, Hey man, I know it's fucking hard. I know I've been exactly in that chair over there. Um, and uh, you're not alone, man. Okay. You can do that. And by the way, that's here, have another coffee and, and let's chat. And that's what, what it is. You need the help of a group. You need to help, from outside of yourself and that is the important step that's really step two um, and that we are already in the steps so it is actually uh, we however you you dress it up if you like the words and the terminology of AA or if you dress it up in a different way in a different system it's still the same thing you need to realize oh, you need deep in shit and then you need again, to realize someone else is actually out there and is able and willing to help. And, and again, the word group, right? Uh, you know, I'll never forget this. I, I went to a, a group of, I, I went to a meeting of NA one time. Drugs are not a part of my history, but, you know, I, I'm always hungry to learn. You know, I've explored smart recovery. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've done it all. I've, I've sat in on it all. And it's one of the most poignant things I've ever heard. A guy said, the most uh, important thing anybody had ever said to him ever was after a meeting, somebody came up to him and said, do you want to go out for coffee? And I just, I, you know, I mean, how poignant is that? You know, it's the most important thing anybody had ever said to him. Just, I just, see you. Mm, I'm there I see you. you. Yeah. I'm right here. And it's, I'll never uh, we, forget that. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? It is. We are through reasons whatsoever. Virtually all of us are believing. No, it's we're alone. We can't ask for help. This the first yeah. thing of asking for help. It's for especially for men. 
it can be an, an absolute impossible task, mission impossible, truly. And for someone actually to just have that smile and say, yeah, let's have a coffee. Wow, that can be such a powerful, powerful thing. And it's those little steps that make such a difference. But that's what AA is about. And wrong. That's what people who are in AA, most of them are about. They are there to help. They have been in trouble. They have sorted their shit out to various degrees. And they are now willing to help. And they are seeing your, your fear. They look through the mask. I always say you yeah. can't bullshit a bullshitter. All of it's them true. in this room have been bullshitters. We are masters in the game. So oh, when you come yeah. to us, don't try to pull the wool over our eyes. We look we at you. Master and we are master bu bullshitters. I've actually had the experience of in sobriety of talking to other alcoholics who are who are who are drunk. I can tell that they're drunk, and they're like, "I'm not drunk," and I'm like, really? <laughs> "Seriously, you seriously think I can see you?" Drinking, you honestly think I'm, I, I'm going to believe you, but yeah. we, we do. We, we just, we think that the world, it's like, you can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> Object exactly. permanence is hard, but we'll get you there. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. So, oh, and we're it a is, fascinating bunch. <laughs> aren't we? Aren't we? It's, it's just, uh, but we only can say that hand on heart when we're two, three, four, five, six years down the line. Uh, yeah. When you're in the middle of it, you believe you're on bullshit, and that's the worst. Uh, oh, when boy. You're, <laughs> when you're immediately after, after stopping drinking, I was a hollow shell. I was empty. I was... There was yeah. nothing there. And I had to reinvent myself as a man because I didn't know who I was. I was this drinking personality for the better part of two, three decades. And now suddenly there was the Stefan without drink. And you, your hand grabs like something, but there is nothing to grab onto. There's so you have to develop yeah. your, your new you. And that's, yeah. that's a challenge. Yes, we should, we should maybe, I, sh I recently on Quora, someone asked uh, a question, which I dare answered. Um, why is it that uh, AA is still allowed to be around when virtually everyone fails? And I thought, first of all, actually, where do you get that data from? That everything, everyone fails? Um, uh, or everyone, huh, sorry, I need to be careful here. There are, there is the topic of success rates of certain recovery programs. We'll talk about that yeah. shortly. And then there is you as an alcoholic. Let's talk about the you as an alcoholic first. You going, to one meeting, let's start different. You going to the gym once will not make mm -hmm. you a fit man or a fit girl, okay. okay? So one meeting, that's it. No, forget it. You going religiously to every meeting there is every well, day for 30 days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> so religiously, okay, I got it. Uh, <laughs> you go there 30 meetings in a row but you yeah. don't do the work, 
to actually work on yourself. Well, you're yeah. just sitting there and, and wasting oxygen and warming a chair. That's all you do. So again, it is. If you say, wow, I have been to AA, but I actually didn't do any work. And now, funnily enough, I'm drinking again. Well, and now uh, I'm drinking again. Yeah. But also, I, I, I think... You first. You I, first. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think, I mean, the, the hard truth about addiction is that the overwhelming majority of people who struggle with addiction never recover. Uh, they, you know, they, they die of the disease or they, or they, or they die by their own hand. I, I think the other thing that, that nobody really says is that anybody can quit, right? Anybody can stop. It's staying stopped. I mean, I, I quit drinking all the time. I was a master of quitting drink. I'm sure you were right. Seriously. Eight o'clock in the morning after you retching over the, the bin. Oh yeah. If, uh, like I quit oh, drinking all the time. That's it's it. staying stopped. What nobody really tells you is that in order to stay stopped, you basically have to redesign major constructs of your personality and structures in your, in your, in your uh, cognitive makeup and probably um, in, in your, in your life as well. And also second year, at least my second year, and I've heard this anecdotally from other people, is pretty difficult. The second year of sobriety, it's like the things they don't really tell you about pregnancy, you know? <laughs> I, tr I didn't try that yet, um, but I certainly tried the second year in recovery, and I agree with you. It was, for me, the second year was, uh, was probably not so bad. It was the first year. And I, I fell 100%, 100%, I fell into the 80% of people who had a relapse or at least a lapse uh, in the first year. It is, if whatever system you do, you, you, you're an alcoholic. You have ingrained beliefs, your dopamine and uh, other systems are going nuts in your body. You, yep. You're craving. That is, it's just all there. You are set up to fail. And yep. it is so hard to use any system. It doesn't matter what it is. And try to, to, to work there. There will still be these tendencies in your reptilian brain that says, give me that alcohol. You want to have that drink. My addictive behavior went out sideways. I, I got sober and then I started, um, I gained a lot of weight. It's coming off now because I couldn't stop eating. I started gambling. I had never gambled before. I started gambling. Um, I mean, all of this is, all of this has stopped. But I, I had a moment just shortly after my one year where I thought I am absolutely no less an addict than I was when I was drinking. I'm just not drinking. So true. And all of a sudden, not drinking was not enough. I wanted to live free of any addictive um, behaviors or patterns whatsoever. But the bottom line is recovery is an uphill battle for a very long time. And then eventually it does even out. Yeah. But there is no battle harder than the one against yourself. There just isn't. And I've had a baby. I've run two half marathons. I went to grad school. 
Nothing has come close ever. Nothing has been more rewarding, but nothing has come close in terms of challenge. So, so, so true. Well, and that's that's the important bit. It's exactly, I'm discussing that in my book as well. And it is so hard to fight yourself and you can't do it alone. You need to help, you, you need the guidance because certain things in your past and maybe in your present yeah. are so painful that yeah. every single fiber of you doesn't want to deal with it. You have right. done so much shit in the in the past, or people have done so much shit to right. you. Usually and, both. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And you end up thinking, no, I, oh no, I can't go there. It's it's in the too hard basket. But without going there, without addressing those issues, you will never move on because you still have got that festering boil okay. of whatever it is in your past that is driving you to seek the quick reward, to yeah. have the pain and therefore seek the immediate relief, the, ah, oh, now I can relax. Just oh, yeah. for a minute. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's what alcohol is. Is we are not we are not there to say, "Oh, what a lovely poison!" Oh, I feel these ten thousand neurons just dying. Oh, that's that's so break. beautiful. That's right. No, you want to break from the pain. You just want to forget. Yeah. You want to be. You look around and think, "Oh, fuck it." Uh. Rarely, rarely did I ever. I I know that that this is not the case with everybody, but. For me personally, rarely did I ever say, I'm going to sit down and get shit-faced. I just wanted that first couple of hours feeling, and then I would keep chasing it, and then I would wind up 14 drinks later in another province. <laughs> like, it yep. never ended well. I'm not a big person, but I can create a lot of chaos in a very short period of time. It never ended well. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think that's that's... That's maybe the other thing to say. We are all full of stories. And I've been to meetings where people only taught or told the stories how bad it was. And these were the guys who were there. They are 20 years sober, but they have not missed a single meeting because they are white knuckling yeah. it. If they don't go to the meeting, they are in the pub getting pissed there and then. So they have not actually dealt with the trauma. And that's the reason you get the same bloody story again and again and again, mm. how bad it was for him, how what it did to his, his family, it ruined him, he ended up on the street, um, etc. And the story keeps repeating. If you were to come again the next time to the meeting, same guy, same story, nothing else. And that is white knuckling it. That well, is not doing the work. And you would know, a la Bessel van der Kolk's work, that when you remain that stuck, that really is unresolved trauma in, in the full clinical sense of the word. When you cannot move on, you remain on high alert. You remain engaged in the experience as if it is happening in, in the present. That's, that's, not, that, that's clinical trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, the, so whilst we have said quite clearly that AA can be a lifesaver, um, but there is sometimes the issue with God. We have also quite beautifully taken apart the construct of God as a group of orderly drunks. 
to move away from the, the religious thing. So can you go to AA if you are uh, a Jew, if you are uh, believe in Islam, if you are a Buddhist, Hindu, I don't care. Yes, of course you can. Yes, of course you can. And, and as actually, if you're lucky enough to live in larger towns, you might actually find specific AA meetings that are purely secular, that are making a point of not being religious. And if you can identify them, that, that can be a very helpful thing. Adele? Here, here is the thing, and I, and I actually wrote a post about this on my, on my Facebook feed. There's a quote in the, a line in the crucible about we are only what we always were, but naked now. COVID has blown the lid off the profound and tremendous magnitude of the problem that is addiction in contemporary society. A whole lot more is starting to be done and needs to be done. I mean, our society has a drinking problem. Yeah. It is not just desperate housewives and, you know, the odd person like you and I and, you know, homeless people downtown, which is a ridiculous stigma that makes no sense. It is everywhere all the time. And, you know, people are blown away by my story. And I always say my story is not unique. It is the farthest thing from unique. It's just that I've chosen to tell it. We have been in deep trouble with alcohol for a long, long, long time, but we didn't know. Now we can see it because people are standing in long lines outside the liquor store and people's mental health is caving under the enormity of this pandemic. But this isn't new. We've been in real trouble with substance for a long time. Let's talk about the figures. For a long time. Let's talk about the figures. If you talk to some addiction specialists uh, who hand on their hearts say, okay, I've, I've lived this life uh, and I know the true figures. The figures are probably one in three of us have, oh, yeah. have got chemical addiction. Yeah. And if you then think that each of us addicts will have at least one significant other who is on the right. receiving end of that, then addiction really affects half of the population. And I think that is a daunting figure, but it is actually a very true figure. The problem yes. for any policymaker or anyone who is in power thinks half of the population, let me see, uh, recovery services for 150 million Americans, no. Okay, so that's it. That's it. So therefore, uh, it is that in its own right becomes a bit of an interesting thing. The other thing is, of course, that that people are deniers, and it's mm -hmm. one of the classic symptoms of an alcoholic is that he will try to convince you that he is not an alcoholic. So and that <laughs> exactly. So it's just it's just normal. And ninety five percent of those people who we would think from the outside really need help yeah. are convinced they don't need help. Okay. So there's right. a problem. So, and if that person with that conviction gets tracked once to an AA meeting or to a smart recovery meeting or to any meeting whatsoever goes there and says, no, that's rubbish. Uh, walks out and says, Hey, I've tried smart recovery. Doesn't work for me. Well, mm -hmm. duh, duh. 
Yeah, of course it doesn't work. So because we are working against such a strong conviction, such a part of the alcoholic that is, or the addict, shall I say, which is so powerful. And please, can I say one thing to you, uh, Adele, your description of the gambling and on the overeating, 100%, absolutely. There's a most beautiful thing from a uh, Kenyan um, gentleman, an addiction worker who has, has drawn a tree. And you see on a tree, the, the trunk goes up and then the branches. And you've got the branch of chemical addiction, uh, sex and behaviors, uh, yeah. then a gambling uh, and other, all other forms of addiction up there. And underneath the roots in the earth are the trauma, the, the PTSD, the depression, all that that actually drives it. So without you dealing with what is underneath there, uh, yeah. what is the, 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 you've got the addiction as the, the tip of the iceberg, but you need yes. to deal with all that from underneath there. And that's, that's what Adele has, what you have described so beautifully there. Uh, and that what happens to many addicts. And the problem is we, we, we do the work. I mean, I have been, I have put my focus and my drive onto the reasons why I was drinking once I was in rehab. I took that as a challenge and I deal with challenges and with pressure quite well. So I really kicked ass and I thought, wow, four weeks of hard work. Hey, I'm, I'm it. I'm sorted. I'm solved. That's oh, it. I will now be sober forever. Yeah. Yeah. My bottom, of course not. Um, so the, I think the reality is recovery is a very dynamic thing. And you might yes. have thought that you've dealt with something. And then six years down the line, in my case, suddenly I realized that my behavior and my what happened to me last year was actually PTSD from uh, my teenager years. And it took me, what, 30 years to figure that out? Yet the, the, the symptoms were actually there and the, the hypervigilance and the, the poor sleep and the, the flashbacks and everything there, it was there plain to see. Yet I had somehow hidden them in a construct of that's me just having a good situational awareness. Um, yeah, okay. So I had basically disguised my problem with something positive. And it took me six years of sobriety uh, to finally actually realize what was going on in me. So just because you have done hard work at one stage doesn't mean right. you can just stop. Okay? So recovery. Well, so, and I think, yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think it's important to, I mean, you are a doctor, so you are a better position than most to, to go, oh, I have, you know, this and this and this. <laughs> it's quacks and waddles like PTSD. But the point is, education doesn't mean what people think it means when it's your own brain Absolutely. that is injured. Absolutely. Right? You can't see it. You know, no, no, you can't see it. I, I also have a diagnosis of PTSD. When, when, when the diet of complex PTSD, when, when the psychologist finally, you know, said this to me, I thought, well, of course, but it's, it's the same thing. I mean, couldn't see it. it makes perfect sense. Explains so much. And, <laughs> and in fact, I have never talked, you know, and, and witnessed this conversation. I have never talked to anybody who struggled with substance who does not have, I call it the trifecta, the terrible trifecta, substance, mood stuff, and trauma. 
often, often, but not always caused by abuse. That's right. I swear to God, they go Mix hand in shake, hand. Like, and you've got a beautiful yeah. cocktail. Yep. Yes, you do. Which is why waging war on people with substance problems is a, is the last is the last thing we should be doing. I understand mm. that substance abuse makes people do appalling things. Mm. I did appalling things, but people fall into substance abuse because they have lost their way because they are damaged and in unbearable pain. Sanctioning the manifestation of that pain as criminality and shaming them and basically abusing them or the way they're expressing their pain is not going to heal them into sobriety. It's going to make them worse. Period. 100%. And we have got the, the facts to prove that. Look at the big uh, social experiment called Portugal. Portugal is Portugal. A, yeah, that's right. right. Look at, uh, at this country uh, in Europe uh, at the very west end of there, if you look at the map. And these guys basically said one day, you know, stuff it. We, um, not working. we, that's right. What our approach is, it's not working. So we decriminalize uh, drugs and we use the same amount of money that we have spent on policing drugs and put the same amount of money into recovery services, into mental health services, etc. Yeah. What happened? Crime. Woof. Drug addiction. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Um, there are um, other stories where, for example, in the United States, uh, I recently read about an experiment where in a county they had decided that actually uh, it's stupid what we're doing to send police, hardcore police, towards drug-related issues. Why don't we mm -hmm. send a crisis team there? and deal with that and they started off with one car with a crisis team but now they've got three cars which are going to such issues like the family harm and the truck uh, incidents and deal with it there so the police is not necessarily the first line of call but it is actually a crisis team yeah. a psychiatric team that uh, has the insight and has the understanding because people will who are in trouble they will not like the police to be there. So there you suddenly right. have got a very quick uh, escalation of right. violence. And then the next thing is they, they are assaulting police officer and it just goes downhill from there. That's it. Well, if you've got someone who actually reaches out a helping hand and said, look, mate, are you all right? Here's a cup of coffee. Shall we have a chat? Uh, that would be such a different, different approach. I, I can speak to this in a very personal way. The last night of my drinking was uh, July 18th, 2018. It was, I was drunk out of my mind. It was, there's a, there's a whole backstory to it. I was just, I was drunk out of my mind. I was raging at an ax. I was, I was, I mean, I said before, there's a fine line between addiction and madness. And I was a little too close uh, to stepping over it. it. It was a terrible night. Um, this night, though, I had let my mother uh, drive me. I was, I would, I would had this pattern. Where I would get drunk at home and take a cab um, to the neighborhood near this on again, off again partner. That, that's another story about very toxic, difficult relationship. This guy drove me mad. Um, he was also a, he was also a medical professional, so he was quite sophisticated in the way that he he did this. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
uh, this night though, I let my mother drive me and, um, apparently I kept saying to her, I'm not, I'm not handling this while I need you to call an ambulance. And, um, he didn't answer his door, which he liked to do or block my number. And I went to a bar and drank more and she was right with me. And I, I remember throwing things. I, I don't know what I was throwing or why I was so angry. Then I took off into the streets and, and left everything, shoes, phone, you name it. Um, and went over to this guy's place yet again. Um, of course he didn't answer. And I was, I was all by myself. This was, um, was late. And, you know, I, I knew as this was going on, it was like watching it with a split screen. One side of me was drunk and enraged. And, and, um, the other side of me thought I'm, I'm drunk and I'm all alone and it's late and no one knows where I am and no one is coming. And I'm completely, totally powerless and I'm in danger. And I knew that this was the bottom that was going to make me stop. But to your point about police, I, I was still drunk. So I took off looking for more, trying to find a way to get more alcohol, how I was going to do this with no shoes and no money. I don't know. But four police cars found me because my mother rightly so had done the right thing called the police and an officer got out. And instead of being combative and aggressive and going at me for being drunk and you know, disorderly, he said, we're here to help you tonight. What do you need? And I was so amped and escalated that had he said the wrong thing, I would have, it just would have gone out of control. I probably would have attacked him. But because of what he said, I just caved. And I said, you know what? I went like this. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I need help. I need to go to the hospital. And, and I went. And, and I've been sober ever since. But to your point about police action, he clearly had mental health training and de-escalation training. And because he said the right thing, it, it was like putting a pin in it. And I just, I was done. Yeah. And yeah. his right action <clears throat> and soothing handling of that situation allowed me to make the decision to go to the hospital. And that was the beginning of my sober life absolutely and please let me please i i would like to take this opportunity to speak out about the police because i strongly 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 believe that the police are the good guys and i can say so because i come from germany i come from the uk i come from here in new zealand where police officers are, in my opinion, the good guys. They are trying to help. They're trying to be normal people who keep order and look at issues such as drug addiction and mental health problems as exactly what they are. They are they are diseases. They are societal problems that don't need a strong hand. Uh, in most cases, uh, they need a helping hand. And that is beautiful. From now on then, they need a strong hand because if you have got a raging pee addict who has got a machete in his hand, then I'm sorry, there might be a chance that this person will not make it because he is a threat to himself, to society, to the police officer. And there's only so much, so much understanding you can show if someone attacks you with a lethal force. 
So I think we need to be quite clear about that. And I think we need to be very clear about that in the United States and Canada as well. Uh, there are beautiful videos on YouTube. And please, all of you who are anti-police, just have a look at that when, when uh, civil rights uh, people join the police, get the training so they're being put into simulators where they're standing there, they've got their own gun, and they are uh, going into a situation that is playing out in front of them into the simulator. And they have to make a split split. Uh, second decision of this guy. What is this guy doing? Is he is he about to kill me, or is he is he just pulling his cell phone out and things like that? And it's amazing how many people who are absolutely against police have shot the guys in the simulation, left, right, and center. Bang, dead. Oh shit, uh, that was a cell phone kind of a thing. Um, and it's really really beautiful. These kind of videos show you the difficult situations that the police officers often find themselves in. And we need to understand that. If, please, please just treat everyone with respect. And if a police officer has a, a pistol in his hand, then you probably want to treat him with respect. May I just su su suggest that even in your drug and alcohol frenzied brain, please, 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 just be respectful and be a little bit humble if you can do that. Don't let it escalate. You know, I think we're in. I mean, I certainly have. I have a lot of friends. You know, because of the work that I do, who are who are American, and I know that this is a, is a moment of profound anger and and high emotion, yeah. um, and deep wounds that have opened even wider um, around the police. And I think um, there is nothing that we can do but make space for everybody's experience of the police whether it is positive or negative. And, and I, I, you know, I certainly know that, you know, people of color have, have their experiences. Yep. Um, people who have struggled with addiction have their experiences. I have been very lucky um, that my, my personal experiences have been positive. I also have friends who are first responders um, and, and friends who are, you know, friends who are, are soldiers as well. Um, but it's a it's um it's an inflamed time right now socially is Absolutely. is what I would say. It's um, a beautiful description, beautiful description, Adele. Uh, and we need to be we need to be able cool. to be to be to show our heart and to show compassion mm -hmm. to the police officers, to the victims out there to the police officers who become victims, to the victims who very clearly have been on the receiving end of police brutality. Yeah. All of these experiences yeah. are there and let's bring them out, but let's do not demonize one societal group, not, not the oh, police I officers, not, not anyone of religion, not anyone of color, etc. And that right now we have seen that, for example, we have seen that with the LGBT and J.K. Rowling, um, a, a, a situation where J.K. Rowling was, was speaking out about, I think, the issues of, of, uh, of uh, uh, the, going to the toilet, essentially. Um, and for her as a, as a sexual abuse victim, she liked the idea that no man could come into a toilet, into a female toilet, yet from a, from a gender fluid point of view. Now, this is a toilet. I can use any toilet I want because I identify myself there. So she made a statement or two along these lines. And was she hammered? 
by the LGBT group um, who suddenly people, everyone drops her. And it is basically, she made that one statement. Um, she was not allowed to because there was now, no, you don't, it's no longer allowed to say your opinion against anything LGBT because no, you just don't. And it's the same, you know, I, I think, in the States and in, 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 in your inflamed scenario. I, I think what's so important, and I mean, you know, these are delicate, delicate, delicate issues that we're talking about. I think what's so important is the nuance and, you know, what we were talking about before with the social experiment that is, that is Portugal. No one is saying that we should just sort of collectively enable you know, addictive behavior and the criminality around it. No one is saying that. The point is to understand that certain stimulus will create certain responses and to understand the reasons behind certain behaviors. Yep. No one is saying that, you know, illegal, um, you know, the sale of, you know, um, lethal amounts of fentanyl is okay and cocaine laced with fentanyl is okay and no one is saying that you know people should be allowed to commit all sorts of crimes and and use the fact that they were under you know under the influence of substances as a defense or 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 anything like that the the, the issue is to to understand true addiction true addiction that you know as the disease that it is and and that's and that's the other thing that I think isn't quite clear you know, and I know that there are a lot of people who have a problem with substance. They're kind of in what I call the messy middle. They're not truly addicted. <laughs> not quite addicted. <laughs> not quite addicted. Well, there's, I don't know if you're familiar, there's, there's a series at a Harvard Medical School called the Almost Effect series. Oh. And that's what it talks about. Almost alcoholic, almost a psychopath, almost anorexic. And that's what it talks about. These people who are experiencing some, you know, functional uh, compromise in one of these areas, but um, aren't, you know, they're sort of sub-threshold clinically, you know? I'm speaking in these terms to a doctor, but... <laughs> I, know, I know! That's what the series is. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what life is, isn't it? It is, it is uh, black and white is beautiful. You can see it. It's, there's black and there's white. Yeah, the reality is no, we are not. We are not. We are. We are. Sometimes we are pretty close to black. Uh, right. But no. Make them pee on a stick and find out if somebody's an addict. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, uh, Adele. There are so many, so many important topics there that one could touch upon, and I think we've 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 probably put our fingers into a lot of pies here. They all need to be aired, and I think the the message needs to be clear that people are out there to help you guys. You are suffering from a disease that is so powerful and so deeply ingrained. You can't do it alone. You need the help no. of others. I think that's clear. AA can be a lifesaver for you and you might walk into a meeting and you gel completely with the guys and you think this is the best thing ever. And if that is not the case, there is smart that's recovery. Okay. There is women in recovery. There are, there, are, uh, there's, there are psychologists who work with you on an individual basis and, and take you through the steps 
that you need to do to for, not forget your addiction, but to focus on those things that are really important, getting rid of the trauma and creating a life that is so full of joy that you're saying, oh, yeah, alcohol. Uh, actually, I don't have time for alcohol because I'm, I'm living this beautiful life. So there are many ways how you can get there. there. Many but ways. Yeah. Exactly. And that is, that is occupational, occupational therapy was a, was a, an unexpected, a lot of people think of occupational therapy with things like, you know, um, after, after a car accident, for instance, you know, somebody has had a catastrophic injury and has had to have a hand amputated, you know, how do they learn to function? But occupational therapy is a bit bit of a well-kept secret for mental health and addiction. And it was a saving grace for me because I had forgotten how to live. And one of the most powerful tools for me was one piece of paper that was a schedule your day by the hour. And I absolutely needed it. Here's when I get up. Here's when I have a shower. Here's when I eat breakfast. Here's when I make my bed. And, and I, I, I needed it. I had to organize myself. Here's when I have lunch. You know, I, I, and I had to refer to it. I had to carry around with me. It was like my stuffy. I had to carry it around with me. And here's what I need to do now. Because I had opted out of life and been in such chaos for so long that I had to learn how to live all over again and be a grown up all over again. And, um, yeah. That's, you it know, is, it was essential. Yeah. And that please, and Paolo I, Coelho novels and the, the soundtrack to A Star is Born, <laughs> they were all essential. Absolutely, absolutely right. Look, I've uh, I don't want to trump, uh, uh, don't want to blow my own trumpet, uh, but I wrote this book, My Steps to Sobriety, and uh, about half of the book is about uh, what alcohol does and and the twelve right. steps, and then the other half is sort of how do you deal with the challenges in life. Right. And then the first half of the book, when I go through the twelve steps, well, step seven is creating healthy habits. And in yes. there, I've broken it down. So they're micro habits, sleep, nutrition, getting up, journaling, uh, actually writing things down, goal setting, all these kind of things that we don't do when we are alcoholics. So it's exactly right. that. So and I've given you in the book, I've given you action plans for each and every one of them. Yes. Why you should do it, etc. And it's going back to basics that yes. you will need. And that's where that's where I see any system approach to be superior to just, oh, let's deal a bit with the trauma and let's deal a bit with that. And then you go get on with life. So you need a system and a system, you need someone to hold your hand. You need, you're a a bloody two and a half year old. You're just learning to use the spoon. Okay. That's the level that you are. And so please, and just accept it that this is your level now. Certainly, you're an emotional retard. You are a a a a just. You're beginning again to 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 get your life sorted. So I love use, that you said micro habits. I use I I always talk about micro activities mm. or in occupational therapy they talk about activities of daily living. Mm. That that's it. It's the tiny things that we do. You know, all day long. <laughs> It's not some cataclysmic event. It's small choices that that we use to regulate and stay regulated on a consistent basis. 
and that's and then you guys if you know financial things a little bit then you know what compound interest is um if yeah. not uh then basically if you take a dollar put it in a bank get 10 cents for every dollar every day well the first day you've got a dollar and then the next day a dollar and 10 but again you get 10 percent uh from a dollar right. and 10 and then whatever that makes it make a dollar 15 or something like that now and yeah. the next day you get 10 percent of that so it's tiny tiny steps initially but down the end whoa you're going up and that's the power of having tiny steps in the right direction but consistent tiny steps right. that's it mm -hmm. so cool guys no absolutely oh I could talk, Adele, I could talk with you for hours and hours and oh, I hours. I feel the same way. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> have to do a part two. <laughs> yes, please. Take that as a given. Um, yeah. Adele, if, if people want to know more about you, if they want to uh, track you down, how can they do that? Well, my website is uh, just HTTPS. Uh, colon two forward slashes womenshiftcoaching.com but it is under construction just find me on facebook i'm just me on facebook at adele mason um or please email me at uh, adele at womenshiftcoaching.com and I'm, I'm pretty accessible so beautiful Adele, it was such a fantastic talk. Thank you so much. There are so many uh, things out there and please you internet trolls if you think you want, you're about to to fire off against Adele and me, can I ask you to listen to the whole interview again and try to figure out what we are saying, not just that little snippet of information that you take offense uh, with? It would be good. That is because we are doing that here because we believe that we can help people, that we can make a difference for people, that we can plant a seed to grow in the future it might not be right now working someone might listen to that and think what a heap of bullshit and in three months time you might actually say hmm that actually had a point and suddenly that seed is growing that is what we are doing here we're trying to change the world one interview by after the other and little steps and we hope that it works so Baby steps exactly step at a time exactly Thank you so much, all of you, for listening in today. Adele, again, thank you so much for a fantastic interview. Thank you. Thank you. Look it's been a true pleasure. Absolutely. Look after yourself. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Everybody.